pray. Amen. We are glad you're here today, glad you've chosen to worship together with us. If this is your first time here, or if it's been a while, uh, we are in the book of Joshua. So you can turn to Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 8 today. As we go through this series entitled Courageous Faith. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but sometimes I read about these guys in Scripture or I see some, some of these guys that are in the public eye and I say, man, that's the kind of faith I want. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Abraham, can you imagine, husbands, God speaks to you and he says, I want you to pack up everything you have and go that way. And when you get there, I'll tell you, can you imagine the discussion you have with your wife? I mean, that's big, isn't it? Now, now, Abraham had relationship with God before then, but that's big. And so sometimes I do that. Sometimes I look at these guys and I say, man, that's courageous faith. They're, they're doing things that would scare me to death. And, and we don't know. We don't know what was in their hearts. We don't know if, you know, Abraham prayed right before he went in to talk with Sarah and said, Lord, if she kills me, I'm coming to you, right? <laughs> We don't know, but, but that's the kind of faith that, that I want, is where God says something, no matter how outrageous it might seem to us, n- no matter how beyond us it may be, that, that we just step out and say, God, I'm, I'm just trusting. I, I don't know how. Sometimes we have to say, I don't know when, but, but Lord, I'm, I'm stepping out, and unless you come through, I'm sunk. Well, that's the kind of faith that we're talking about, and so we're talking about that as it relates to Joshua. If you remember, God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and slavery with Moses. Uh, they came to the promised land. They were a little disobedient. They, they didn't trust in God to do what he said he would do, so they got to wander uh, for 40 years. And, and I know, I know, I hear this from women all the time. It was because Moses didn't want to ask for directions. They knew where they were supposed to be. And at the end of 40 years, when an entire generation had passed away, Moses hands it off to Joshua. Moses dies. They go across the river in an amazing way, uh, very reminiscent of the Red Sea parting. God did a similar thing with the Jordan River, and they all crossed on dry grounds. And on dry grounds, I'm thinking of holy grounds, just coffee. It keeps coming. But they, they passed on dry ground, and they took stones. God commanded them, take stones from the river. I don't think it was little rocks. I think they, they picked 12 big, heavy dudes, one from each tribe, and they carried a stone across that looked different than anything you would see on land because it came from the river, and they set it up as a memorial. And, and you know, God said, here's why I want you to do this, so that when your children, your children's children ask, why are these stones here, you can tell them what I've done for you that you crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. They also took some from the Jordan and put them, I mean, from the, the bank and put them in the Jordan. So I, I love doing stuff like that. You say, son, in the middle of that river, there are 12 stones that came from the bank when it was, on, when it was dry, when God dried up the Jordan so we could come over, they put them there so we'll remember what God has done. And so, so they, they crossed over into the promised land. They, they got some of the old uh, left. As soon as they ate the, the, the uh, produce of the land, the manna stopped. Um, it, that, that must have been a big change for them, uh, probably a welcome change, but uh, a big change for them. But they also kept something new. They also observed the Passover, remembering again what God had done. And so here they are. They defeated Jericho. 
Last week, uh, we looked in chapter 7 uh, where um, Achan uh, sinned. He took some of the things that were supposed to be devoted to the Lord. They were supposed to go to the, the tabernacle of the Lord, and he took them, he hid them in his tent. And, and then it, it almost seems like that they forgot what happened um, with, with Jericho and, and uh, Joshua listened to some guys he probably shouldn't have listened to that said, hey, you know what? We, we went, we saw the people of AI. I, I love that artificial intelligence in the Old Testament, but I don't know. Uh, AI, we, we saw them. There aren't that many and they're not that big. We don't need everybody. So, so take about two or 3,000. Joshua took 3,000 men. They went. 36 of them were killed, right? And they turned tail and ran. That's crazy. And they were defeated. Joshua falls on his face before the Lord. The Lord said, here's why you have sinned. So we talked last week about dealing with sin. I'll give you the real quick synopsis. When you're dealing with your own sin, you need to deal swiftly and severely Quick and decisive. That's what you need to do. When it's your own sin, just take care of it. Do it. Confess it. Repent of it. Get rid of it. And, and, and make sure that you're walking with the Lord. But when you're dealing with someone else's sin, we should be kind and compassionate, gentle and loving, right? If he's, or Galatians 6.1. When someone is caught in sin, When someone falls into sin, those of you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, right? We we tend to switch those around, don't we? I want to deal with my sin gently, and I want to deal with your sin harshly. That's the way we do, but that's not what we're told to do. So so we talked about how we deal with our sin, and you know what? Somehow, uh, I ended up with the same notes that I had from last week, so this is going to be a really, really odd message here today. I don't know how I did that. It's all right. Here we go. Just go with it. God's in control. He always is. You're a good man. Thank you. Between all of these, maybe I'll answer all the blanks that I have in there. So, so today, here we are now, so, so they've dealt with the sin, and, and now they're getting ready to go back to uh, the, the city of Ai and, and to attack the city of Ai. This time, I love the way this one starts rather than the last one. Chapter 7 starts with, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted thing. So they sin. That's where chapter 7 starts. Chapter 8 starts this way. This is the way we want our chapters to start. And the Lord said to Joshua, we want to start with hearing from God, don't we? And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Now, this is crazy. They just defeated Jericho, the most fortified city around. They come to Ai, which is a little nothing city in comparison he says, don't fear, don't be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you. Now, now let me tell you, your military strategy goes a lot better when you listen to God. In fact, everything goes a lot better when you listen to God. And, and so Joshua did. Take all of your fighting men with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I've given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. 
and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock, livestock shall you take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So I won't read the whole thing because it's nearly the whole chapter through verse 29. But here's what happened. So God told them to take all of their fighting men and set up an ambush. And God says, this is important for us. God didn't say, and you will take the city. God said, for see, I've given you the city. The battle is still the Lord. Sometimes we, we think, okay, I'm, I've got all my resources together. I can handle this. They, they thought that before, and they only took 3,000, and they got beat. It's the battle's still the Lord. So, but, but God says, do it my way. And, and Joshua listened, and Joshua obeyed. And, and, and I just love, I'm, I didn't serve in the military, but I love Tom Clancy fan when he was actually writing the book. Someone else is writing them now, and his name's on there. But anyways, um, I like those kind of things. And, and, and what great strategy. So, so they go back to AI. They send some of the men there. The others are around hiding and waiting. So they take a small group just like they did before. They challenge them when the men of AI come out to fight. They turn tail and run just like happened before. And then when they draw them out, then the men who are waiting, the bulk of the army, Ten times what they started with the first time. Go and lay siege to the city, set it on fire. Then when all the fighting men turn around to see, then the people that they were pursuing turn around and attack them. God, in an amazing way, turned the tables. And a city of Ai fell like that. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the slower snap than that. There's some things that I want us to, to, to see from this. So I, 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 I gave the, the message today, the title, A Lesson in Obedience. How many of you have the whole obedience thing down? Anybody? Do you have it all down? Yeah? Uh, no kid dared raise their hand. Um, but, but even for us, even, even if we've been walking with the Lord for a long time, some, sometimes it's just good to get a good lesson in obedience. And I've told you before, a pastor friend of mine says that, that his definition of obedience is doing what you're told when you're told with the right attitude. If one of those is missing, it's not real obedience. But sometimes we just need to be reminded, what does it mean to obey? Because we want to say, Lord, I, I'll do all of that except for that last part. I, I, Lord, I, I mostly obeyed, didn't I? <laughs> I mean, does that work with your kid when you tell them to take the trash out here? We have to carry it up to the dumpster in my house. The hills, like, okay, maybe like that, but it feels like it's like that. Um, if they carried it halfway up there and left it in the street and came back and you said you didn't do what I told you to do, well, I did most of it. I mean, I got halfway up the hill. We wouldn't call that obedience. You. You didn't do what I asked you to do. And, and so I, I want us to, to look at some things here that we see with Joshua and, and how they gained a lesson in obedience. And then what does that mean for us? So, so first of all, let, let me just say a couple of things to you. First of all, courageous faith takes obedience. Do you want big faith? Do you want courageous faith? Do you want to be in, in the place in your life where God says to do something and your instinct just right away is, okay, 
you know. I want you to I want you to get a U-Haul. I want you to pack everything in it, and you start driving. And I'll tell you when you get there. Wouldn't you want to have that kind of faith that where you said, "All right, Lord," I wouldn't want to have to explain that to my wife. I'd be like, "Lord, you're working in her heart too, right?" But but I want that big kind of faith. Well, courageous faith takes obedience. You cannot have courageous faith. You cannot have big faith if you're not willing to obey in the things that God calls you to do. Now, here's where it gets a little bit tricky. Obedience takes faith. That's hard, isn't it? Now, I didn't say that obedience took courageous faith, but obedience takes faith. You see, here's the deal. Faith, you can translate particularly in the New Testament, faith and trust are just right there. Same word is used. Believe is used interchangeably often. In order for me to obey God, I have to trust him. Don't I? If someone off the street just comes and tells me something, I don't, I don't know them. I don't have a relationship with them. I haven't built up trust with them. If it's a policeman, I'm going to do it because he's a policeman law enforcement. But, but if someone tells me just someone I don't know, someone I don't have a relationship with, it, it's hard for me to do that. With God, in order for me to obey him, I have to trust him. But here's what happens. Just the way that, that God works in our lives is that when we obey, even in a small thing, when we obey, God grows our faith. Now, isn't that cool? Now, now some of you are saying, well, man, this is hard. I mean, this sounds like I got to start with faith, but I got to trust before I have, you know, I have to have a relationship before I can have, have faith and trust. And you think about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace you are saved through faith. Faith is the, ve- the vehicle for grace. And then here's this cool part here, and you can translate this a couple of different ways. I really believe that he's referring to the faith. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Now, isn't that cool that God even works on our heart to give us just enough faith to step out in that first little step of obedience? And when we do, then he grows our faith. Here's what's happening. You see, every time we obey God and he proves himself as faithful, then it's easier the next time, isn't it? Now, now if I pick some of you guys that are six foot plus, and, and I tell you, all right, I, I want you to demonstrate your faith in me, and I want you to stand on top of the roof over here and jump, and I'll catch you. <laughs> or at least break your fall. <laughs> now, the first time they did that, that would be, I'm looking at one of the big guys over here. The first time, I'm not looking at BF, there ain't no way. Um, <laughs> But the first time they did that, that would be pretty scary. But you know what? If I caught them, the second time wouldn't be so bad. If I caught them three times, they wouldn't think about it hardly before they jumped off again. It it works that way with us and God. You see, when God calls us to do something and we step out in faith, even if it's a little tiny act of obedience, we step out and God proves himself as faithful. It's a little bit easier to obey the next time. And I think it's cool. It looks like that's what he's doing with the nation of Israel, particularly with Joshua. Because he said to Joshua earlier, look, like, just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And, and, and Joshua is learning that this is true. He, he learned it when they crossed the Jordan. 
He, he learned it when, whenever the, God gave them the city of Jericho through the weirdest military strategy you've ever seen. If you don't know that story, go back and read it. You, you march around and you shout and blow the trumpets at the end. The walls fall down. I mean, that's great. They, they hit a little hiccup after they got going a little bit and didn't trust God the first time they attacked the city of Ai. But now they're learning it again. Lesson in obedience. I don't know about you, but it helps me when I read in Scripture these, these men that I consider to be great men of faith in Scripture. Joshua is one of those guys. That they don't get it the first time. That it might take a time or two. Because that's the way it is for me. I, I, I wish I could learn from your experience. I'm, I'm tired of learning from my own. But, but it helps me to look and say, all right, so... So he had to learn. Joshua still had to learn how to trust God. He, he still had to learn how to obey him, to, to listen to him first, and then to do what he said. You see, here's, here's something that, that we get from this. If you look uh, toward the end of the chapter, verses 26 through 29. Uh, well, first of all, let me go up just a little bit. Um, God tells Joshua, uh, this is verse 18, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city, and the men in, the, in ambush rose quickly from their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they hurried to set fire on the city. So we have that little blip. That's 1819. But then when you get to verse 26, I, I thought this was interesting. I don't know how long it took in between. It says, but Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai for destruction, just as God had commanded him. Remember, he said, you can keep the livestock, but all the people, you can keep the livestock and the, the loot kind of, but all the people have to be devoted to destruction. Joshua held out the javelin until that was completed. And so here's what I want us to take for ourselves, that obedience isn't obedience unless it's complete obedience. And, and, and I, I have to think, I have to think, Joshua is thinking, I don't want to mess up this time. I, I want to be sure. Now, God changed a little bit from what they did with Jericho. They could actually have the livestock and, and, and the other things, but all the people had to be devoted to destruction and Joshua held out the javelin until that was done. They brought to him the king of Ai, and the king was hung, completing what God had told him to do. I know it's hard for us sometimes in the thing. Sometimes you might just be reading in Scripture, and you come across something, and you're like, and God just prompts your heart. You need to do that. We, we talked about in, in Sunday school this morning uh, about how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And, and, and even, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you might be reading, God might, might convict you about your language, not, not cuss words, language, but about the way that you talk to people. Not to be harsh. Maybe it's about your joking, not, not to be, not, you know, the coarse jesting, not, not to be, you know, joking in, in a way that might hurt someone's feelings or in a way that's just not appropriate, that let whatever come out of your mouth be uplifting, that let whatever come out of your mouth be wholesome, that let whatever come out of your mouth be, be righteous and, and, and uh, really point people to God, not, not pull them away. Maybe it's something like that. 
And, and what, we need to, what we need to learn is that whenever God prompts us, we just need to obey. But, but really, that gets a little bit hard. It all comes down to relationship with God. And, and so let me, let me just encourage you this morning. I, I know that, that in, a, in a group this size, we're, we're all over the place. Uh, we may have some brand new believers in here. We may have some people who have been walking. I know I've been walking with the Lord for over 37 years. Yes, there were some stumbles in there, just in case you wonder. But, but I met the Lord 37 years ago. There, there, there might be all the way in between. But let me just encourage you with this. If you want courageous faith, comes back to relationship with God. Because in order to trust him, you need to know him. And, and, and as I think about just the, the gamut that we cover here in our walk with Christ, I'm pretty sure we got it covered. It'd be fun maybe to put a timeline up and see if there's even a gap between a few months and how long we've been following the Lord as a group. But it's relationship. It's always relationship. Whether you came to faith in Christ yesterday, last week, last year, or 30 plus years ago, if you want your faith in God to grow, if you want courageous faith, it comes down to relationship. And that's why we say here that that our mission statement or our purpose statement is that we want to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Sure, we want you to do all the spiritual disciplines. We want you to pray. We want you to give. We want you to go on mission trips. We want you to be involved in a small group. We want all those things for you. But it all comes down to relationship because here's what we know. We know that life change comes from relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We know that big faith, that courageous faith, comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. So the things that we do I hope, always point you to relationship with God through Jesus. And so let let me just tell you today, if there's anyone here who's never come to the place where you could say that I have a relationship with God through Jesus, or you you say that I've I've never come to the place where I've just said, you know what, Jesus, I, I just give my life to you. Today's the day for you. Man, I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to rock some of your worlds. I hate to throw this on, on you at the last minute, but there's not a prayer that you have to pray for that to happen. In fact, there's not a time in Scripture when someone prays to come to faith in Christ. Here's, here's always what you see in Scripture is that you believe that you trust. Not, not a believing with your head, but a trusting with your heart. And so what I would say to, to you today, if you never come to that place, I've got the best news ever for you. Your sin has separated you from God, but God loved you so much that he sent Christ to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross in this amazing way that I don't don't think I'll fully grasp. God took the one who knew no sin to become our sin. He took our sin on the cross, Jesus did. And then God poured his wrath out, the wrath that you and I deserve, the punishment, the payment for sin that we deserve. Jesus took on the cross. And the way that 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 looks after the cross for those who trust in Christ, 
Paul says in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because Jesus took it. He was condemned on our behalf. That we might be the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that crazy? Crazy good is what it is. That God loves you that much. And, and while, the way, while the, the way may be really narrow, Jesus is the only way. He said that. We see that all through Scripture, particularly New Testament. Jesus is the only way. The invitation is huge. Whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. The invitation is for anyone. If you've never done that today, I would encourage you to do that today. And, and maybe you have done that. Maybe you're like me and you say, man, it was, I almost hate to say the year, especially when you've got young folk around which, by the way, the definition of young keeps changing for me as I'm not as young as I used to be. When I say that I met the Lord in 1982 and I see these adults that go, like, I wasn't even alive then. <laughs> you know? For those of us maybe that, that, have, that have met the Lord long ago, we've walked with the Lord for a long time, can I just remind you of this? Because sometimes we just get busy in life. We just forget. We think it's all about doing. But it really is about relationship with God. So even if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, would you today, we, we, we get to take the Lord's Supper today, uh, observe communion together. And this is a really neat sign, not only that, that we identify ourselves with Christ and what he did for us on the cross, but we also identify as the body of Christ here. And, and it's a real symbol of unity as we take the Lord's Supper together. And we'll do that in a moment. But can I just encourage you, even if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, would you just say, God, where am I in my relationship with you? Because I don't know anybody that couldn't be a little bit closer, right? <laughs> um, when we get to heaven, that'll be great. No sin in the way there. Until then, we still have to deal with that. But, but can I just encourage you just to respond to him, and, and would you just respond in relationship with him? So if you've never done that before, you, you can come. I'd be glad to, to pray with you. That's just an expression of what you're, you're saying in your heart. Sometimes it helps us to say that out loud. But would you just trust in Christ? Make him, I love talking with little kids about this. Make him your boss. Would you just ask Jesus to be your boss? That's what Lord means. And Savior just means that we say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? And the Bible says he'll do it. That's it. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel like you did or not, he, he, diz, he diz it. Wow, that wasn't even proper English for Texas. <laughs> He'll do it. He does it. Let me, let me pray with you, and as I do, I'm going to ask the, the deacons and the ushers to come and, and prepare uh, the, the Lord's Supper for us. But would you just take this time that we have as we distribute the bread and the juices, just a time of reflection, and maybe a time of response with God, and, and you just respond to him however he leads you. If you want to come and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you just want to pray where you are in your chair, you're welcome to do that. But, but let's, let's go to him. Father, thank you that your love so outweighs our sin that you sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place, taking our sin and taking our punishment for our sin. And God, you didn't stop there, but in this amazing exchange, Jesus got our sin and our punishment, and we get his righteousness. So that, Lord, for those who are in Christ, that when you look at us, you see the righteousness of your son. God, that amazes me and it humbles me.
There's not a one of us here who deserves that. And yet you did it. And you offer, Lord, salvation to anyone who would trust in Christ. And God, I pray that you just work in our hearts today, that you would draw us into a relationship with you, just like you, you say that you will in your word. And that, God, if anyone calls out upon your name today, Lord, that they would be saved. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>